0: Good morning, Bethel Church. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Bethel, and we are in week six of eternally focused life. Thank you for braving the cold. This is a packed room, and we know there are many of you joining online. If you have your Bible or Bible app with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter six. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way in. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus teaches on, brace yourself, materialism, Yes, Does anyone else feel convicted already? Don't worry, Jesus has good news in store for us today. He'll teach us how to use stuff to love people because the opposite never works. But before we unpack, let's pray. Father God, thank you for yourself. Thank you that you loved us so much. As the children just shared, you loved us more and better. And you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, To live the perfect life you always wanted for us. To die the death that we deserve for our sins on the cross. To rise again in victory that we may have a relationship with you that starts now and lasts forever. We know that you have treasures from your word for us this morning. We pray that you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to us. And Lord, give us hands and feet that act upon the truths of your word. We pray this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Shortly after Sarah and I got married, her parents moved to China to care for her grandfather. They left us with everything we would need to start our new home. A guest bed, nightstands, rocking chairs, a picnic table, a grill, a childhood wagon, hand tools, sheets, towels, rugs, decorations. Then there were all of Sarah's possessions from her Chicago apartment and all of my stuff from my college days, not to mention wedding gifts from over a hundred guests. Of course, the boxes piled floor-to-ceiling in the spare room of our South Fargo fixer-upper. We were very grateful for all we had. We knew we needed many of these things, but we didn't know what we needed. We were buried in stuff. And I've learned we're not alone. These ten numbers surprised me. Did you know the average American home holds 300,000 items. The average size of the American home has tripled in the past 50 years. Yet 25% of people with two-car garages don't have enough room to park. And still, one out of every 10 Americans rents off-site storage. The average 10-year-old owns 238 toys but only plays with 12. The average home has more television sets than people. The average American woman will spend more than eight years of her life shopping. 93% of teenage girls rank shopping as their favorite pastime. Yet nearly half of American households don't save any money the average American will spend over 3,600 hours or roughly half a year of their life searching for misplaced items. When did we start living like this? And how do we stop? In Matthew 6, Jesus provides a way out of the clutter and into your calling. And it starts like this. Repeat after me: use stuff. Let's read these verses together out loud. Matthew 6:19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And let's read this loudly. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's unpack this one phrase at a time. Jesus opens, do not store up. We store up lots of stuff, don't we? When I heard the average American household had 300,000 items, I was shocked. Then I began adding up items in a nearby drawer at home. Three rolls of scotch tape, packing tape, a couple dozen pens bundled together, a pencil case of mechanical pencils, a ruler, three paperclip holders, hundreds of paperclips, highlighters, sharpies, an eraser shaped like a reindeer, three notepads, Several dozen note cards, a dozen binder clips, three staplers. Why do we need three staplers? Two staple removers, a box of 5,000 staples. Do we even staple anything at home? 16 cap erasers, two rolls of correction tape, two pencil sharpeners for wooden pencils we don't have and probably wouldn't use. Maybe 300,000 items isn't so shocking after all. Is the solution to clear out our closets, empty every drawer, and start from scratch? Not necessarily. The Greek verb for store up is tharizo, the same word for treasure here in the passage. Jesus literally says, don't treasure earthly treasures. Don't love stuff, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Use stuff to love people. Next phrase, Jesus continues, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. All throughout the Bible, God's people are encouraged to store up treasures for others. For our community, Leviticus 23, 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, leave the edges of your field and the gleanings of your harvest for the poor. For our church, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. For our family, Proverbs 13.22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. For our friends, Luke 16.9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. When my parents bought the house they currently live in, they bought more space than they needed for themselves. They bought space for others. Since then, they've hosted the fire, our weekly summer gathering for Bethel students. Who wants to invite a hundred teenagers over to your house every week? They do. And every Wednesday, their backyard fills with campfire worship, student testimonies, and lives changed by the gospel. The problem isn't having stuff. The problem is having stuff get in the way of loving God and loving others. Jesus shares two practical reasons why stuff may provide more anxiety than security. Moths and vermin destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Most homes in Jesus' day had dirt floors and clay walls. Inside, homeowners stored food and clothing in clay pots or wooden chests for safekeeping. Still, moths and vermin were small enough to nibble their way through. And thieves could dig right through the walls if they wanted. That's why the wealthiest in Jesus' day invested with money changers buried chests underground, and deposited precious items in the temple. No one wants to rob God. Yet they lived in constant anxiety, knowing their stuff was never fully safe. 2,000 years later, we've solved all these problems, right? We have better home construction, better law enforcement, and better banking systems with deposit boxes, security cameras, and state-of-the-art alarms. Yet, even that isn't always enough. One woman lost half a million dollars in jewels when thieves tunneled into the deposit boxes of her London bank. She said, and I quote, everything I had was in there. My whole life was in that box. Wow. Jesus offers a better life. In Matthew 6, 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus' point is clear. The things of earth don't last the things of heaven do. Like the 1922 hymn sings, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we die, We can't take our earthly treasures with us. Have you ever seen a U-Haul pulled behind a hearse? Me neither. It all stays here. When you die, can you take your smartphone with you? Feel free to respond, yes or no. Can your smartphone come with you? Can your car come with you? Can your house come with you? Can your favorite wall decoration you got for 50% off at Hobby Lobby come with you? Can your friends come with you? Yes. Can your family come with you? Yeah. Can your faith come with you? Absolutely. Our stuff doesn't last, but our relationships last forever. People. Over possessions. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because Jesus says in Matthew 6 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do we know if we're storing up treasures in heaven or on earth? Dave Ramsey writes Our forefathers put a reminder on our currency. In God, we trust. Note that it did not say, in stuff, we trust. Many of us have a condition called stuffitis. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Sound familiar? Stuffitis is having more stuff than you actually use. Stuffitis zaps our energy, leaving us either constantly cleaning and organizing or constantly burdened by a cluttered and disorganized life. The solution? Don't store your treasures on earth. Store your treasures in heaven. How do we rid ourselves of stuffitis? It seems everyone's searching for the answer these days. Shows like Hoarders and Buried Alive scare us into cleaning out our closets, while others like Tidying Up with Marie Kondo and Get Organized with the Home Edit teach us how to organize what remains. Last month, Netflix released a documentary called The Minimalists. It begins with a simple question. How might your life be better if you owned fewer material possessions? One of the presenter's remarks, we have too much, too much stuff, too much stress, yet we don't have enough, enough time, enough energy. By clearing the clutter from life's path, we can all make room for what's most important. Making room is a simple concept, but a hard Practice. Take everything out of your closet until it's totally empty. Then only put back the clothes you know you'll wear. Take everything out of your drawer until it's totally empty. Then only put back the items you know you'll use. Take everything out of your storage until it's totally empty then only put back the boxes you know you'll want. And what happens with the rest? Sell, donate, recycle. Jesus adds in Luke 12, and 34, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. What about gifts? If you're receiving gifts, one simple rule is one in, one out. This Christmas, my brother got a new video game system, so he gave his old one to me, which was pretty sweet. I got a new set of power tools, so I gave my old set to a friend. He thought that was pretty sweet. One in, one out. And if you're giving gifts, consider consumables like an edible arrangement or experiences like movie tickets or give stuff. The right stuff can be a blessing. Too much stuff can be a burden. How much is too much? Proverbs thirty eight and 9 puts it this way. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. At the end of the day, the right amount of material possessions is different for everyone. But with everything you have, ask yourself, Does this really add value to my life? If not, sell, donate, recycle. Remember, the problem isn't storing up treasures. It's storing up treasures for ourselves on earth. It's loving stuff and using people. Jesus calls us to use stuff to love people. Let's repeat that together. Love people. Matthew six twenty two through 23. Let's say this together. It'll be up on the screen. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Anyone confused yet? <laughs> These two verses sound really strange to our modern ears. What does Jesus mean when he says the eye is the lamp of the body? To understand, let's travel back 2,000 years. Jesus' audience had never visited an optometrist. They'd never heard of photons, but they had seen animals' eyes glowing in the moonlight. In Ptolemy's book, Optics, He theorized that the human eye emits rays of light to see, much like the human hand reaches out to touch. Healthy eyes emitted lots of light. Unhealthy eyes emitted little to no light. His emission theory caught on. And by Jesus' day, there were many popular sayings that had stuck. A generous person was said to have a healthy eye because they saw the needs of others. A stingy person was said to have an unhealthy eye because they turned a blind eye to the needs of others. To ancient ears, Jesus' message was clear as day. If you look generously upon others, your whole life will be better for it. If you turn a blind eye toward others, your whole life will be emptier. That's because your best investments aren't the dollars stored in your 401K. They're the memories stored in the hearts of your friends and family. They're the coffees you bought for that heart-to-heart conversation. They're the extra fries you shared even though they said they only wanted one. They're the photos from that family vacation you took even though you were swamped at the office. If you have millions of dollars, but zero friends, how great is that darkness? In his book, An American Company, The Tragedy of United Fruit, Thomas McCann describes a business lunch with Eli Black, the chairman, president, and CEO of United Fruit. The waitress brought a cheese plate out as an appetizer, When someone reached out to try a cracker, Black blocked them with his arms, took it for himself, and went on with a business meeting. Black had enough wealth to buy cheese plates for everyone in that restaurant every day for life. Yet he couldn't even share a single cracker. He had millions of dollars, but zero friends. Not long after, he jumped to his death from the 42nd floor of his New York City skyrise. As the saying goes, money can't buy happiness. Yet, on the other hand, as the line from It's a Wonderful Life reminds us, no one is a failure who has friends. Here's what stingy eyes see. My resources are limited. If I share with you, I'll have less. Here's what generous eyes see. My resources are God's. If I share with you, we'll both be blessed. How can you tell if you have generous eyes? Ask yourself, how well can you celebrate when others are blessed? When someone gets a promotion, can you say, I'm so happy for you, without thinking, that's less opportunity for me? When someone asks for donations, can you say, I'd love to give, without thinking, that's less money or stuff for me? When another church grows, can you say, I'm so happy your church is growing, without thinking, that's less growth for my church? When a friend needs help with a project over the weekend, can you say, I'd love to help without thinking, that's less time for my projects? Hasn't God been generous with us? Acts 17, 25. God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Doesn't God have enough for us. Philippians 4 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Doesn't God have enough for everyone? Psalm 50:10. Every beast of the forest is his, the cattle on a thousand hills. How can we have healthy eyes? Eyes that look for opportunities to be generous. Jesus says a few verses earlier in Matthew 5, 42, give to the one who asks of you and do not refuse the one who wants to borrow from you. Paul adds in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Church, we're doing this. This past year, when many churches struggled to meet their budgets, you've continued giving faithfully so our church could minister here and around the world. This past Christmas, you raised over $38,000 through Advent in Action for Fargo Public Schools Foundation, providing meals and supplies to children in need. This past Thursday, many of you took part in Giving Hearts Day, as over 42,000 Giving Hearts raised over $21 million for charities in North Dakota and Northwest Minnesota. God is using your generosity to do great things, both locally and globally. If you'd like to join in the work God's doing, you're not too late. Donate money or possessions to a charity of your choice. Go through the drive-thru and pay for the person behind you. Treat a friend to a meal or coffee and tip a little extra or a lot extra. Look for opportunities to be generous to those around you. Use stuff. Love people because the opposite never works. Matthew six 24. Let's read this together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you're reading from an older translation, your Bible might say you cannot serve both God and, does anyone have the word? Mammon. What's mammon? Although Jesus preached in Aramaic, Matthew wrote his gospel in Greek to reach a wider audience. Yet here he leaves in the Aramaic word mammon. In Aramaic, mammon was the idol for all one's money or possessions. Jesus asks, are you living for God or are you living for mammon? Of course, no modern person would worship money, right? Study hard to get a good degree, to get a good job, to make a good living, to afford a good retirement. No one would really make that their life's purpose, would they? Oh, wait, that's the American dream, (laughs) So what's God's dream? Stewardship. True followers of Jesus don't own money. We steward it. Haggai 2.8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. True followers of Jesus don't own possessions we steward them the tablet i'm holding the car i drove this morning the house my wife and i live in they're gods who gives and takes away and how am i to use this worldly wealth luke 16:9 jesus says use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings Remember, it will be gone one day. It all stays here. But I worked hard for my money. Shouldn't I decide how to spend it? That's exactly what Jesus means by two masters. Who was I working for? I worked hard for my money who should I have been working for? I should have been working for God. It's not just a change of words. It's a change of heart. Confess that the money and possessions in your life aren't yours. They're God's. And submit every financial decision to him in prayer. God has entrusted you to steward his money and his possessions. If you're faithful with little, he'll make you faithful with much. If you're faithful with these earthly things, he'll entrust you with heavenly things. He'll shine the light of his glory through you. He'll give you true riches, relationships that echo into eternity. But the choice is yours. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and And money. Money isn't evil. The love of money is. First Timothy six, seven through ten puts it this way We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are only two ways to have enough one is to acquire more, the other is to desire less. Guess which one actually works? By all means, make money. Save money. Spend money within your means. But don't love money. It will never love you back. A good living does not equal a good life. Pity the one who has plenty to live on, yet nothing to live for. Use stuff. Love people. Because the opposite... Never works. Is stuffitis crowding your home? Is stinginess clouding your eyes? If you answered yes to either of these questions, ask your nearest Christian about stewardship. Stewardship is the safe, natural way to manage all your money and possessions. Side effects include less anxiety, lasting joy and generous eyes toward those around you. Simply confess that the money and possessions in your life aren't yours. They're God's. And use them for God's glory to store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Maybe you're listening this morning, and you're buried in stuff. You haven't seen the back of your closet in months. You've started buying things you probably have, but lost somewhere in the clutter. You're stressed about the mess, but you don't know where to start. Jesus says to you, store up for yourself treasures on earth. This week, pick one closet, drawer, or storage space. Take everything out until it's totally empty then only put back the stuff you know you'll use. Sell, donate, recycle the rest. Maybe you're listening this morning, and you've invested more in your bank account than in your relationships lately. You wake up early, work late, turn on the television, fall asleep, the cycle repeats. It's time to break that cycle. Jesus says to you, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Reach out to a friend this week. Treat them to a meal or coffee and tip well. Maybe you're listening this morning and you're not sure how you'll pay the bills this month. You want to be generous with others, but you're buried in debt and barely scraping by. Jesus says to you, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity has never been about the dollar amount. It's about the heart. Make a modest donation to a charity of your choice this week. Use stuff. Love people. Because the opposite never works. People over possessions. Out of these, let me leave you with one thing. This week, treat a friend to a meal or coffee and tip well. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word the treasury of wisdom for our lives. When we open it, you encourage us, you convict us, you change us. Lord, we ask that we leave here changed this morning. we ask, Lord Jesus Christ, that you make us more like you who gave yourself your very life so that we could have a relationship with you that starts now and lasts forever. Help us, Lord, to choose relationships To choose heavenly treasures over worldly wealth. To choose you. We pray this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said.